Well, I am so uh, thankful to be here. Yeah, I did. I went to high school in Kiyosakwa. Um, you would know that that means Big Bend in the River in Indian. So just put that in your sermon notes. You now know the origins of the name of that town. But I'm really privileged to be here. It was worth the trip uh, to hear your musicians. You are blessed. It was an incredible offertory in both services. Um, I'm, I was ministered to by your pianist. If one of them disappears, um, you might look in our church. Uh, we need more pianists, and so I'll be recruiting out here. Um, but I have, I have known of this church for years and years and years. I mean, I see Robbie over here. I, I, I mean, our, our church that went to church in Farmington, and uh, our church, First Baptist in Farmington, used to do things with uh, this church at various intervals, uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then I've known your pastors, I've been here in different ministry uh, capacities, knew uh, Jamie, my wife, who isn't here today, um, knew Duke and Deb, went to faith with them, and uh, I know them as well. And then, of course, uh, Pastor Mike Hess uh, as well. I love him. Thankful for him. I gave him a hard time. I saw that he posted a picture uh, recently of Niagara Falls. You know, he's this big shot out now going around. And, and I want you to know, on your behalf, I responded to him. It looks nice, but it's not the Skunk River. And, <laughs> and uh, so... You know, I, my mom's here. She's right down here somewhere. I saw her. She's right here. My dad's uh, back over here on the aisle. My mom was in Kisakwa area. My dad uh, grew up on the west end of Five Mile Lanes. My parents were both from Louisa County. Um, but so I still have a lot of connections in Iowa. And uh, of course, and sadly, I do have a little bad news for you. Um, I don't know if you've heard uh, this yet or not. But I've been sad to hear about Old Thresher's days, and my sources tell me that it looks like they're going to be moving it north uh, to Cedar Rapids or something, and I know you guys are pretty attached to that holiday, that that's uh, important to you. But there's been a problem with having it in Mount Pleasant, and the problem with having Old Thresher's in Mount Pleasant is too many people from Missouri think it's the Farm Progress Show, and so, okay. So, see, how many, you got to have a guy with Southeast Iowa roots to tell Old Thresher's Day jokes, right? <laughs> well, I am, I am privileged. Turn your Bibles uh, to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We'll be looking at really the whole of the book in some sense. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, it's near, I think it's about page 1,000 in your pew Bibles, maybe 9.99. But before I pray, I'll only read uh, one verse. Titus 1, uh, verse 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town I directed you, as I directed you. 
Paul says, Titus, uh, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for uh, this tremendous church, this wonderful gift from you to Henry County. We are thankful for uh, their stand for the gospel and their commitment to salvation by grace. We're, we're thankful that they have been shepherded and encouraged uh, people for so many years. We ask now that you would use the preaching of the word to stir their hearts, to call a pastor according to what your word says in the book of Titus. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, Paul, as near as we can tell, wrote this book in the mid-60s. You will know from the book of Acts, he went on his missionary journeys. He planted churches throughout the ancient Near East, around the Mediterranean, and then eventually was arrested and appealed his case to Rome. He went to Rome where he was imprisoned, and though we don't know this explicitly, we reason that at some point he had a short release from prison before a second imprisonment and then when historical sources would tell us that he was executed. It was during this release that we reason Paul and his, one of his key partners in ministry traveled to the island of Crete and there did what Paul did proclaimed the gospel, and saw people won to the gospel. Paul needed to get back, we know from the book of Romans, that eventually he wanted to make his way to Spain. We don't know if he got there or not. We do know that the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, burned all the way across the northern empire, so that it flamed, or the Roman empire, so that flamed down into northern Africa into Western Europe, and of course, here we are, affected by the gospel so many years later. But when he left Crete, he had not been able to establish churches to the degree that he wanted, and so he left Titus behind. This would have been a sacrifice beyond anything that we can imagine to leave Titus behind. Titus, along with Timothy, are just absolutely vital to the Apostle Paul's ministry. According to the scriptures, it was Titus who was often the intermediary between Paul and the church at Corinth. So we have a book like 2 Corinthians, which was a tough book to receive in some regards. Paul was bringing them up short on some issues, but at the same time asking for a collection. Titus was the one sent to hand deliver that book. It was also Titus who Paul took to the council at Jerusalem when there was an early debate about circumcision. And whereas Paul had had Timothy circumcised, he did not do so with Titus to make the point that we're now not under the law as we once were. Titus had been in the middle of the action. 
for Paul to leave Titus behind in Crete was a huge sacrifice. But he knew this. They had to call the right pastors to local churches. I'm using the word as Peter does in 1 Peter 5. I'm using pastor and elder interchangeably. But when Paul says to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you, he was leading him to a key task. He was leaving him to do that. And this book, I mean, just look up here for a minute. That's the length of it. That's the whole of the book of Titus. You can go home this afternoon and you can read it in a few minutes. And my point today, as you make decisions going forward as a local church, is for this book, Titus, to lead your pastoral search. I had a sort of circuitous educational journey. When I left Van Buren High School in 1981, I went from there to Central College in Pella, and I got a degree in chemistry, and then I got an MBA from the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls and worked in medical diagnostics for several years for Bayer, or for the Germans pronounce it, a buyer. And then in 1990, uh, my wife and I left uh, the world of chemistry and went to seminary at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary and eventually uh, a doctorate at Gordon-Conwell where I studied under Haddon Robinson. And the reason that I went to study under Haddon was because he was at that time, uh, the, he's with the Lord now, but I think really the leading homiletics or preaching guy in North America. Just a wonderful man that I got to know well. But the way this works for doctoral programs is that you come to a point where you have to write a doctoral thesis. And I decided for my doctoral thesis uh, to write a book, essentially, that would be a resource for churches like yours that are looking for a pastor. And you say, of all the things you could write about, uh, why would you uh, write about uh, that subject? It's a niche market. I've published a book with Crossway on forgiveness. Uh, publishers like books that appeal to everyone. When they hear a book like Pastoral Searches, immediately they kind of put up their hands and say, now wait a minute, uh, there's only a very limited number of churches that are looking for pastors. Are we sure we want to write something, publish something that is so tightly focused? And here's my answer to that question, absolutely, because there's no more strategic decision that takes place on planet Earth than who is called to lead local churches. We believe this. We believe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is as much God's plan for this age as the ark was for Noah's. And think about that thought. As much as Noah needed the ark, you need this church. You need a local church where the word is preached, Christ is proclaimed. You need that desperately. A church is the light for the world. It is what Christ is building in this age. 
if there is to be a hope for Mount Pleasant or for Salem or for Hillsboro or for Lockridge or for Oles or, or for Crawfordsville or for New London or for Danville, we need the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and we have to, we have to call the right pastors. And this book here, with it, we have a gift. This was the document that Paul handed to Titus when he was going throughout the island of Crete, putting pastors in place. This book should lead our search. Now, one way or another, as you make decisions going forward, you will have the opportunity to ask questions of candidates. And you have you already have two godly pastors. You have the opportunity to ask them questions now. And what I want to encourage you from the book of Titus, based on the book of Titus, is to ask them these five questions. You can come up with more, but ask these five at a minimum. And these are in your sermon notes. You'll want to fill them out. Number one, pastor. We'll work kind of backwards through the book. Question number one, and this is foundational, will you guard the gospel? Will you guard the gospel? You, you must have leaders, deacons, trustees, pastors, Sunday school teachers who are guarding the gospel. You can say to a candidate, and you should say to the, him, uh, give me the gospel from the Bible. Show me what the gospel is. And he'll say to you, uh, if he knows his word, well, the word gospel just means good news. Good news. And he might turn to Titus 3, 3 to 8, which is one of the great concise summaries anywhere in the Bible of this, the gospel or the good news. Look at what Paul says to Titus. At one time, we too, verse 3, we ourselves were once... Here's who we are apart from Christ. Get this list. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Other than that, we're great people. The NIV says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I'm forever talking, you'll be pleased about this, I'm forever talking to my kids about Iowa. Uh, never had lived with our children in Iowa. But I'm always um, talking about farming and about Iowa. And my kids would drive by a cornfield and my uh, uh, boys, uh, I remember my boys saying to me, Dad, it's pretty good corn there in that field. And I would say to them, it's not bad for Illinois. <laughs> I'd tell them, uh, if my dad uh, only had corn that tall at this time of the year, he would have wept. Um, I embellish it a little bit, but... Uh, it is, the ground is a little thin there. Um, finally, after all this uh, years of Iowa Hawkeye stuff and Southeast Iowa stories, the older of my two sons 
he was probably eight years old at the time. He said, Dad, if I was so great, you know, why don't we live there? <laughs> and I said, well, son, uh, I'm a pastor. And I said, the people in southeast Iowa really remember too much for me to be a pastor there. <laughs> um, don't say anything, Rob. Um, and I was teasing, of course, but not totally. In fact, I've got this uh, journal that I'm filling out right now about, uh, it's, a, it's a Proverbs journal, it's really a great thing. And the idea is you fill this thing out and then you pass it on to your kids or grandkids or whatever. You fill this out and pass it on. And so, there, and there's that at one point in this prayer journal, this has been in the last couple months, and uh, the line was, how would you describe yourself as a young person? Uh, what would you want your family to know about you as a young person? And I thought about that, and I thought, well, that only takes three words uh, from me as I summarized it, as I thought about seriously, what would I want my family to know about who I was as a young person? I thought, three words, I can do it. Um, and, and I wrote, in all seriousness, I wrote these three words. Mouthy and arrogant. That was, that was my summary. They say, wow, that's pretty sobering. Yeah, it is. Say, so how do you go from being mouthy and arrogant to the pulpit? Wait, here's how you go. Verse four, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared to me. He saved me, verse five, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. You see, who did it? Who earned it? Who achieved it? Who offered it? Christ. Him completely. Him alone, not by works of righteousness, lest any man should boast. First, begin with this. You have to have someone in this pulpit who will defend that. And ought to just roll and ooze out of him and your whole church. And you say, okay, Titus 3.3, 3, that's, that's a good passage to turn to. Is there another one you can show us? You say, sure, Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Consider Abraham. Say, so he was a great man. No, here's Abraham. He, was, he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was saved by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the greatest summary of the gospel that we have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, what? Begotten son. That whosoever would, you know, give money to Calvary Baptist Church and be here every week four times, that person would be saved. No, it doesn't say that. It says whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And you make that turn, here's the turn people need desperately from mouthy and arrogant cross of Christ. That's the turn. And that's what we have to call them to. And this is what we must have in our pulpits. And you have to guard it. 
You say, well, that's great for salvation, but what about for life and relationships? It changes everything about life and relationships. Look in context at what Paul is saying here. Remind them to be submissive. I know these are rebellious people. He says, chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, uh, to get along, to quit quarreling and gossiping. How do you remind people to do that? How do you remind them to get along in Mount Pleasant? You remind them of the gospel. You remind them who we are apart from Christ. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's who we are. But the cross. But Christ And that should change our orientation to everyone and everything. The gospel changes everything. We proclaim it. We remind people of it. We point them to it. We play in Christ alone for our offertory. We remind them it's everything. Must do this. Point number one, pastor, leaders, Sunday school teachers, will you guard the gospel? Point number two, will you remind us of our blessed hope? Will you remind us of our blessed hope? So I came down 61 yesterday. I got to Grandview Corners. Can you picture this? There's a helicopter there. You know where Grandview's at, right? Highway 92 and 61. I took uh, 92 across to 218. Uh, to Ainsworth Corners, I come down uh, 218, and I go through uh, Salem and Hillsboro. Hillsboro seems to be hurting a little bit these days. It doesn't look like there's a lot of new commerce there. But, but in any case, um, I, I made my way to Van Buren County. And I thought as I was driving, uh, I turned from Ainsworth and came down across the fields, and uh, I looked around me. I looked in particular uh, east there, if you can picture it. I thought, can you believe this? Uh, could there be a better spot? Best farm ground in the world. Black Iowa soil. You guys can get it planted. You have great corn. And, and I thought to myself, you know, there is a, a direction I could go from Mount Pleasant that I don't have great memories. I thought of that. My dad's side, Jerry, cousin Jerry Wilson, his uh, mom, Donna, his folks, Donna and Wendell Wilson, used to go to their house for Thanksgiving. I go straight north out of uh, Mount Pleasant to Crawfordsville. I can uh, picture uh, Thanksgivings with Jerry and his family. He'll confirm the mouthy thing uh, wait, wait, later on. McElhenney grandparents live around Morning Sun, drive through Mount Union to go to Morning Sun and come home at Christmas time, drive through Yarmouth, look at the lights. Ever do that? Ever? I, I don't. I, I guess they probably don't do that anymore. Yarmouth is another one of those places that's hurting. They're all hurting, right? But everywhere, everywhere, and obviously Van Buren County, um, 
uh, went to the doctor here in Mount Pleasant and uh, got allergy shots. Um, I just had a nurse named Paula who was pretty. I thought she was like a movie star or something. And she used to save the licorice candy for me because she knew I liked that. And even, al even allergy shots were a good memory. All kinds of uh, good memories in Southeast Iowa. It wouldn't be a place um, where I could look that I couldn't see uh, good memories. Obviously, a Farmington going to church uh, down there and, and all those good things. Not a, not a place uh, where I couldn't see good memories. But I'll tell you this too, and, and, and I'm being serious when I say this, not a place where there isn't pain. Not one place. Not a place. You know, I, I thought to myself, you know, I've been here for ministry things over the years. When was the last time I stood on this platform? And I may be missing something. Um, over the years, things kind of blur together. But for sure, the last time I remember uh, standing up here was in the fall of 1998. And a friend of ours, a friend, one of my friends I grew up with, a guy named Scott Shappy, his dad was a farmer named Dick Shappy. And he was a spiritual leader in the area. He'd been saved at a series of meetings at Oakland Mills. And uh, his life was never the same. And he had a tremendous, tremendous influence on Van Buren County. Just a really good man. And he died in a farm accident in 1998. And I was pastoring at that time in Michigan. And I had a part in the funeral. But where, and some of you will know Dick Sheppey, where he lived uh, north of Stockport, Iowa, just really across the fields a little bit, if I put a stake in the ground, and I want you to listen to this part, if I put a stake in the ground at his farm north of Stockport, and then drew a three-mile radius so this is being in Van Buren County, drew a three-mile radius around it. I can, I can see pain in every direction. As a matter of fact, three farmers within a couple miles of him and within a few years of one another all died in tractor accidents. And of course, Bradfield and uh, Burl Lane and Dick Shappy all died in farm accidents in a short period of time. Neighbor to the north, uh, Tim Edwards, the guy I grew up with, uh, died as a young man of our heart attack. I go just a little bit uh, east of where Dick Shappy uh, lived, and that's where uh, my brother-in-law, John Shuck, and his brother, uh, Jason, lived. Both died as young men in accidents, one in a car accident, one in a snowmobile accident. It's just a little spot in Van Buren County in a small period of time. And you know what? There isn't a place in Henry or Louisa County or Lee County we couldn't do the same thing. And you say, what do you do with that? What do you do? Who do you need as a pastor given that? Here, here's, here's what you need. A pastor who would say this, Titus 2, 11 and 14. Well, God's grace has appeared to all and it brings salvation for people who believe. And it changes us it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Here we go, and this is what your pastor must remind you of, waiting for our blessed hope, 
the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that, that's what we need to hear. You've got to be reminded of that. History is going somewhere. It just feels like it plods on and on and on. And scoffers say, where's this coming of the Lord? When's Jesus coming back? It just seems like life goes on and on. It's not going anywhere. Dear friends, don't forget this. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow, 2 Peter 3, in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. But he's patient so that you all can call more people to the faith. But make no mistake about this. Very soon, Christ is going to take the sky between his two hands and rip it in half. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's what Thessalonians tells us. Be caught up. The Latin word there is rapturo, be raptured. After that, we who are still alive who are left, we'll be called together, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You, 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 might, you say, well, we know this. This is really basic stuff. Well, you got to be reminded. You got to be reminded. Because life is a gut punch. Life is tough. Life is hard. And, and you've got to have a pastor who says to you, listen, I, I, I can't figure the, all this out. I don't understand all the reasons of the Lord. What I tell our, our people is all of God's reasoning for life will not fit between your ears, right? We can't understand all the purposes of God, all the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable his ways. When people say to me, Pastor, why did this happen? Like, why tractor accidents? Or why snowmobile accidents? Or why car accidents? Or why cancer? Why? Here's, here's my answer. I went to seminary to be able to say this. I don't know. I don't know. But, but, but here's what I do know. That Christ is coming back soon. And those who have died in Christ will rise in Christ. And I know that there's a throne in the heavenly city and there's a river as clear as crystal that flows from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, Revelation 22. And I know that on either side of the river is this tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be any curse what does Revelation 21 say? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying or pain. Uh, no more cancer. Uh, so we moved from north of Kisakwa to south of Kisakwa in the early 70s. And we had uh, a music teacher, my music teacher, who invited... Um, our church to go to a church in Farmington. It was not because of my music ability um, at all. In fact, uh, I, maybe she saw my need. And so we went, we went, uh, we, we, we went out there and we heard the gospel 
uh, clearly proclaimed would be, I don't know what your associations are now, but at that time, sort of a sister church uh, to this church. And uh, here I am. Here I am. Guarding the gospel, but reminding people of the Lord Jesus Christ that he's coming back. We gotta go uh, quicker. Will you, number three, will you share life with us? It's interesting a pastor in the Bible only has to be able to do two things really, really well, and you already know one of them. That's preach and teach. They have to be able to handle the word. But one that we sometimes miss that is prized is the Bible says, and we see this in 1.8, he has to be hospitable. He has to be a person who shares life with others. He has to be a person who knows the sheep and builds into them. It has to be someone who wants to be a student of Henry County and Mount Pleasant and to exegete your lives and to know you like he knows the word. And you see this uh, all throughout the book. In fact, if you look at chapter 2, chapter 2 is all about learning in community. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what fits with sound doctrine. And then he talks about older men are to be sober-minded, dignified. Uh, Verse 3, older women are to be reverent, not slanders. Uh, They're to teach what is good. We're supposed to train, they're supposed to train the young women to love their husbands, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive, and so forth. But the picture you get is the picture of learning in community. It's not just coming for a lecture, it's being involved in one another's lives. So I'm getting all nostalgic with Kyle on the phone, Kyle Noel, Pastor Kyle, on the phone because, of course, I went to a school with his uh, uncles, aunts and uncles, uh, both. And then I knew his, his uh, dad had recently passed away, that they had, had the funeral. And I was thinking about their place on uh, Highway 16 there. In fact, when I was in kindergarten, when I was in kindergarten, uh, his grandparents' home had burned. And then they built uh, that home that they live on, um, on you know, lived in really for almost the last 50 years there on Highway 16. And I said to Kyle, I was trying to picture all this, I said, what kind of, I don't remember what kind of equipment your grandpa Noel usually had. And he, and and he should be a little embarrassed about this really, but he, and I was of course looking to see if he was, you know, if they were um, believers, which is to say if they drove John Deere. And I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But he said, you know, I'm a little hazy on that. And then, then it was kind of bugging me. I couldn't really remember it. And uh, uh, I asked my brother-in-law, Mark Carter, who just, just grew up just across the road on Highway 16 from Knowles. And uh, Jamie, you know, my wife, you know, it's like, well, they don't remember what tractors they had in the 70s or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, there is zero chance Mark will not know what kind of tractors the Knowles had. So I brought it up to, to Mark, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, they're John Deere people. Um, and Mark, Mark gave me a little list of the tractors his neighbor has had. And he said, well, how can you be so sure? We, we, we all knew which uh, tractors. In fact, Myron Thornburg was in 
uh, the first service, and I remember they were international people. Um, and you, you say, how, how do you, you, you know, you can't remember what you did last week. How do you remember what tractors people drove in the 70s? Well, the answer is because we shared life. You know, you got stuck, you, you pulled somebody else out. You needed to borrow something, uh, you, you worked with your neighbors. You, you drove back and forth past one another all week long. You looked around the, across the field, we didn't have GPS to see how straight their rows were, you know, and, and all that. You know, no, farming's changed. You don't know what kind of equipment others use in your workplace. But listen, listen, you got to know about each other's lives. You've got to be involved. Somebody gets stuck, you got to pull them out. Somebody needs help, you got to help them along. And you need a pastor. I mean, this is no small qualification when in Titus 8, it says, 1-8, he must be hospitable. He, he must, word translated there could be literally uh, open to strangers. Number four, will you deal biblically with conflict? Paul's pretty hard on the Crete here. You really wouldn't want this summary, I think, given of Henry County. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 10. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. Um, verse 12, one of their Cretans, the prophets of their own, said, they're always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And that's pretty difficult stuff. And if you look um, throughout the, the book of Titus, you will see this theme come up over and over again. Paul says to Titus, look at verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply. Or verse 15 of chapter 2. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Or verse 9 of chapter 3. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. As for people who are divisive, chapter, verse 10 of chapter 3, warn them once, warn them a second time, then have nothing to do with them. You can be sure that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now you say, well, that is uh, pretty difficult stuff for the Cretans. Are you saying um, that that's what Southeast Iowa people are like? Not completely. I'd be a little nicer. After all, I'm one of you. But we could surely say this about Southeast Iowa people. We can be stubborn and hard-headed and independent, can't we? Um, there are times when uh, it's easier for us to put our money in the offering plate than to offer our pride. That's really difficult. It's like, it's like with my wife. I don't... I don't really mind asking my wife's forgiveness, saying I'm wrong and I'm sorry. I do mind going first, okay? <laughs> it, if my wife says to me, I'm sorry, I'm the very picture of humility. <laughs> um, but, 
But listen, that's not what it means for husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church, is it? Uh, it means that we go first. It means that we work through things. And it means that when there's difficult stuff that has to be addressed, that we address it biblically, biblically, biblically. Now, <clears throat> people, I've found that people, I've talked to many, many search committees, and I've found that they're usually all for this point. You know, we want a pastor who, you know, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. People always believe that. They generally only have one exception. That is the stuff with themselves, you know. We, we want uh, pastors to exhort just so long as it's someone else. I mean, we're, we're, we're really good at remembering who else needs to be exhorted. But, but listen, listen, when you have somebody up here or even with your own pastors now, and you're asking questions about biblical leadership, here's a question. Will you deal with conflict biblically? Pastor, will you guard the gospel? Will you remind us of our, our, our blessed hope? Will you share life with us? Will you deal biblically with conflict? And then finally, will you feed us the word? We need a steady diet of the word. Notice how Paul begins the book. Paul, a servant or a bond slave of God, Titus 1 verse 1, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, so specifically set aside for apostolic ministry. Why was that? For the faith of God's elect. There, there's the gospel already for people putting their faith and trust in Jesus and the knowledge of the truth which accords or which leads to godliness. Isn't that beautiful? So if people put their faith and trust in, in Christ, it changes everything. It changes how they live. In hope of eternal life, there's the point that we've already made, we've got to be reminded of that, which God, who never lies, promised before the beginning of time. And you ask, well, how then does word get out about this good news? Verse 3, at the proper time, it was manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted. But preaching is absolutely central you need a pulpit where this book is held high and its exposition is a priority. Look at verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9. What must he do? He must hold firmly to the trustworthy t word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. You've got to have this. Pastor future pastor, possible pastor, present pastor, will you feed us the word? Those are wonderful uh, words to ask any pastoral candidate, wonderful questions, and I'll tell you who else they're just as good for, and that is you. That's the question I have for you. Uh, I don't know, Mount Pleasantite. Or what, what, you're not the Amalekites, you're the Mount Pleasantites. Henry, Calvaryites, that's what I'll call you. Here's my question. Will you as a local church guard the gospel? You've stood for it all these years. 
Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep having vacation, Bible school, or whatever you call it, however you instruct kids. You don't have to have vacation Bible school per se, but have opportunities to guard the gospel. Remind people of our blessed hope. Can't promise you that you're not going to have a tough week. Can't promise that. I can promise you that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back soon. What does James say? Life is a vapor. Appears for a little while and then it's gone. That's it. But Christ is coming back soon. I can promise you, can you, will you uh, share life with other people? Don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves as some in the habit, are in the habit of doing, but be with one another. And all the more, as you see Judgment Day coming. Will you share life? Will you deal biblically with conflict? It is so hard. It is so difficult. It's really easy for somebody else. It's really hard for yourself. Figure it out. Put your pride in the offering plate. Not just your money, your pride too. And then insist on the word, insist on the word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that when Paul left Titus behind, he did so with God-breathed scripture that could be used to not only call pastors in Crete, but call them in Mount Pleasant. I ask, Lord, that you would fill this church with the Spirit Give them wisdom together. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We ask that you would raise up the right workers. We pray that they would guard the gospel, focus on their hope, share life with one another, work through conflict, and feed on the word. In Jesus' name, amen.